Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, uh, as an Auburn fan, huge weekend right there. Wasn't exactly the prime time game right there. But 11 a.m., they got a big win over Arkansas for the first top 25 win of the Harson era. And, Joe, I came away from that game just extremely impressed because uh, they were on the road in Arkansas. Arkansas was a hungry team, fresh off of two losses in a row after a great start to the season. And I really thought that Auburn dominated that game for most of it. There was one small stretch from the second to the third quarter where Arkansas came back and took the lead. But Auburn really laid down, down the hammer at the end of the game. And, you know, a lot has been made over the last three years of Bo Nix's road struggles. But, Joe, we're looking at back-to-back games where Bo Nix played fantastic on the road and a win against LSU where he really was pretty much the only offense till the very end of the game, made some magical plays. And in this game – he just looked like he was really in control and didn't have to do anything special. He had time. He made throws. And outside of one bad interception at the end of the first half, maybe the best game I've seen him play outside of the LSU game last year. But just highly impressed. He threw two great, long, deep touchdowns, including a perfect 71-yard touchdown pass to Demetrius Robinson. And I think he's really flipped the narrative on this uh, this Bo Nix road blues that he's had. Yeah, he really has. And this was an important swing game for both teams because you had Arkansas losing two SEC games in a row. Auburn wanted to win. And I feel like, you know, the winner was going to be able to get back on track with their season and maybe go after, you know, eight to ten wins. But the loser, you know, it could really derail their hopes. And with Bo Nix, you know, we had been talking about since his freshman year that we kind of circled this junior season as a prime opportunity for Auburn to contend in the West. We thought like everything was setting up with uh, other starting quarterbacks departing at other schools, the Iron Bowl being at Auburn, like just the stars looked aligned. But then, you know, with the two early losses for Auburn this year, it kind of just changed things a little bit with the narrative. But now you suddenly look at it with how well Bo Nix is playing And with the defense that they have with the running game, you're suddenly like, wow, you know, this team could actually still win the SEC West. Yeah, and that's what that's the biggest takeaway from that game is they beat Arkansas by 15 points in a game where they had a chance in the end of that first half to really blow it wide open and really just beat the brakes off them. Now, it didn't happen, but in a lot of ways might have made it a stronger performance in that they took the blows that Arkansas gave to come back and get that lead had the strip sack there, and then from that point on, they opened it up. And you look at it now, they've got one loss in conference to Georgia, which everybody's going to lose to Georgia this year. But, you know, they have a lot of winnable games left. And I think when you look at what their defense is, which it's a very much a bend but but don't break defense, it's been missing some of their top players. Uh, Owen Papo who's probably their best defensive player, hasn't played since the second half of the Penn State game. He's going to be coming back pretty soon. Uh, You know, they've missed Smoke Monday for periods of the season. They've been giving up a lot of yards, but lately they've been really locking down the red zone, especially in the second half. They gave up um, zero points to Arkansas in the fourth quarter, and I think they shut out LSU in the fourth quarter too, both in road performances. And you look at the way Bo Nix is playing now, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, he's roller coastering. It seems like he legit has just reached kind of a new plateau with his game. 
The receivers looked a lot better against Arkansas, which was the biggest concern I had was how many drop passes you were seeing. Even in that LSU game, there was a whole lot of them. Against Georgia, it was even worse. This week, they only had one drop pass, and it was awesome because on the play where it happened, uh, Coach Harson took the tight end out of the game and didn't let him have another snap the rest of the game. I think he's just sick of the drop passes. And you could see him on the sideline said, get that kid out of the game. And when that happened, he took him out. And so they're really starting to address this drop situation. And suddenly, it's kind of a scary team. You know, the, back in 2017, Auburn had two losses earlier in the season. Very similar. They had a road. They had Clemson come. Uh, they went on a road trip to Clemson. It was a road trip to Clemson. They lost by eight points, just like they did to Penn State in a game where they probably could have won, just like they could have won against uh, Clemson back then. Uh, they lost a game against LSU that, uh, you know, they, they should have won that one. The Georgia thing is just different. But, you know, we knew that I wasn't that disappointed with their Georgia performance because you really look at if they could have gotten that touchdown at the end of the first half, they could have been a game. I really think so. But it didn't go that way. And then Georgia, you know, as a good team, did, finished Auburn off. But there's a, there's a lot of uh, things to be optimistic about if you're an Auburn fan. And suddenly that Auburn Ole Miss game in two weeks looks like it really could be the deciding uh, factor of are one of these teams going to maybe steal the SEC West from Alabama? Yeah, I think Auburn's got a great chance. Another thing that's going to help them, we can talk more about it next week, but having a bye week before the Ole Miss game is going to be a huge advantage you know, versus Ole Miss having to play LSU this weekend. So, yeah, I think um, – Auburn's got a prime opportunity to capitalize this year. On the Arkansas side, I do want to say that I'm be interested to see the rest how the rest of their season transpires. I will give credit though to Sam Pittman for getting this program a lot farther along than I know I saw them at this point. Like to you know, two years ago when you know they had another coaching staff to even fathom them being ranked, you know, at any point like that would have not been something I would have imagined. Absolutely. He's done a great job, and he seems like just such a great fit for that program. He seems like he really connects the people there. The players love him. I've been very impressed with Sam Pittman. And, I mean, you want to look at where he's at right now. He is a different play call on a two-point conversion. I still maintain that was the right decision from still being the top 25 team and being uh, 5-2 and two right now with losses to Georgia and Auburn. And that would not be anything to be disappointed about. There's nothing for him to be disappointed about right now, even with the loss to Ole Miss, because the win against Texas and Texas A&M, they're just huge program-defining victories. Oh, absolutely. So, but thought that was a great game. Uh, because I'm fair, I will mention that yet again, there were a couple questionable calls against Arkansas, especially on that fumble with Jarquez Hunter. I even tweeted about it. I said, I don't possibly see how you couldn't call that a fumble because, I mean, you know, if you want to talk about forward progress, I mean, he was still basically like moving in the air when he lost the ball. And I know that was a big deal because that changed a lot of things. Arkansas would have had a chance to uh, – I think Auburn ended up getting up 14-3. to three, and I think Arkansas could have been up 10-7. to seven. So that was a, a big difference maker. But I will say definitely, you know, you can't really get to the same level of what you complained about at the end of last year's Auburn-Arkansas game because I don't think that really made a difference in this game. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot different as far as how things played out. Right. Um, but speaking of referees, that's a great uh, nexus to our next game. Let's talk about Ole Miss and Tennessee. Of course, 
what was the fire that lit the, I mean, what was the match that lit the gasoline fire of what happened in Knoxville on Saturday night was the fourth and 24 play where they ended up saying that he was a half a yard short. And Joe, as someone that is, I mean, Auburn's my number one team, but Ole Miss is my number two team. I am an Ole Miss fan. I don't think that he got that first down. I think what happened is everybody was focused on his right arm that didn't have the football in it stretched out and they didn't they didn't think about the fact that it was his left arm that had the football which was short which was back here I don't think that guy did get the first down and I know people in Tennessee are like losing their minds over I think it was a terrible spot and I think that at best it was a 50-50 call that whatever you called it first you had to stick with and then I'm talking about from the Tennessee perspective at worst I think he definitely was short yeah it kind of lost in this. I know we talked about this Sunday when we were um, kind of recapping the games. You know, obviously what happened with the Tennessee fans was inexcusable and deplorable, but lost in the whole shuffle was just how inexcusable it was for Ole Miss to even allow them to flirt with converting on a fourth and 24. I mean, a horrible defense there to allow that to happen. So, I mean, it kind of put a damper on what was, was a, you know, kind of a great game for the most part, great atmosphere with a raucous crowd. Um, it's a game that Ole Miss – was clearly the better team, more talented team. But kind of my takeaways were that Ole Miss should have won by a more significant margin than five points. And then the other thing was that Matt Corral just kind of, you know, put the team on his back and, you know, ran for a lot of yards to help him win this game. Now, Joe, speaking of that, let me ask you, did you approve of that game plan to have Matt Corral run it as much as he did? I'm glad that he was able to put up 195 yards rushing but he's not Cam Newton. He's not somebody that's six foot six, 250, or even someone like a KJ Jefferson that you really want taking a beating like that. And now the word out is in, in Oxford that he's not even going to get to play against LSU. I mean, do you think that was a, a plan for him to run it even in the, in the hemisphere of 30 times? No, I, I don't. I think it was by necessity with a run-pass option. And I think it really happened when you look at the injuries they've had to the receiver position. You know, Jonathan Mingo has been out the last several weeks with an injury. Don't know for sure if he'll be back even this year. And then Braylon Sanders, when he got hurt and had to leave the game in the first half on Saturday night, I think that was just when Matt Corral just decided he was going to be Superman and try to, you know, lead the team um, running the football. And he's the guy that, you know, Sometimes um, to his fault at times because it backfires as far as, you know, you can put yourself at injury risk. He's just he just won't be denied. He's that kind of gamer. And, you know, we'll see um, about his availability, but definitely a gutsy performance by him. I thought it was, you know, one of the better, more impressive games he's played. I know he had the interception, but definitely impressive. Like he's he's come a long way. The Matt Corral two years ago could not have won a game like this or even the Matt Corral last year could not have won a game like this on the road. Absolutely. And from an Ole Miss program standpoint, I know Tennessee's been down for a long time, but you can't look past the fact that that stat was being thrown out the last time that Ole Miss and won in Knoxville was in 1983. And what a more fitting person to do it than Lane Kiffin showing the the change in, uh, in this program's identity and their confidence. And you know what? Uh, the last thing I want to say about the the golf balls and the trash throwing incident, I was very impressed with the way that 
Lane Kiffin kind of handled that game from the get-go. He seemed like he was very confident. Of course, he had to make his usual kind of trash-talking comment with Cole Kublik at the beginning. Well, you know, and Cole was asking, well, what do you think about coming into this scary environment without your receivers and all that stuff? And he's like, we got number two, and that's all that matters. <laughs> and, I mean, but then you saw the way he handled that. He never, never really got super angry. I thought that in a situation like that, it could have gone very differently with the way he acted. And I thought he, you know, he kind of played it off well and even threw the visor, which I thought was kind of funny at the end. Yeah. No, it was. Um, it was the whole game was just about theatrics, you know, from everything that transpired. But at the end of the day, this is another thing we said when we were recapping the games last weekend. You think about Lane Kiffin winning these back-to-back close games. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a shift in the Ole Miss program. That didn't used to happen. These are the kind of games against Arkansas and Tennessee on the road that Ole Miss would historically lose in heartbreak fashion. Absolutely. I mean, you look at Arkansas, they're a team that has weirdly had Ole Miss's number for a long time with a lot of crazy innings. Uh, and then Tennessee, of course, is one where they, you know, not Neyland Stadium was more of a house of horror for Ole Miss than even uh, Death Valley was for Auburn. So those, those are huge wins right there. And we'll see what they can do against LSU. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Uh, Joe, speaking of House of Horrors, uh, Kinnick Stadium in Iowa went from a place of utter jubilation, a top five win, getting the Iowa Hawkeyes up to number two for the first time since the 1980s under Hayden Fry, and then they go out and do whatever it was they did on Saturday. I mean, Joe, I watched it. I couldn't believe my eyes. They made me look bad, Joe. I had my lock of the week last week. Dean's line of the week was Iowa to cover minus an 11 and a half against Purdue, and I was certain about it. And I don't know where that football team that I saw the first six weeks of the season went, but that was an absolutely pathetic performance. They looked like an average football team at best, and I have no idea how they beat Penn State, how they beat Iowa, how they beat Iowa State. I mean, it was it was awful. Their, their, their offense was just – truly atrocious. I didn't even know what their identity was. And their defense had a receiver from Purdue get, I believe, 250 yards receiving against them. I mean, it was literally the worst performance I've seen from a top five team this year. It was a baffling performance. I think you had made the point maybe last week on the show that one thing that had helped in the Penn State win for Iowa is that Penn State's quarterback, I think, had to lead the game early, and that's when Iowa capitalized on that opportunity with the injury and so that did kind of make me worry about Iowa long term but I definitely wasn't worried about this game against Purdue at home I thought they'd be able to win this pretty easily but kind of an Achilles heel for Iowa is the lack of a passing game they really can't stay competitive when they um, get behind you know the eight ball with these teams that kind of get some receiving yards going and their defense played lackluster on Saturday and so really it kind of becomes a situation where all they have is Tyler Goodson Unless he goes off, they're just not going to beat you in the air. That's right, Joe. And, you know, it's interesting because you looking forward, you kind of thought when they won that Penn State game, wow, these guys are probably going to go undefeated because per the usual, their side of the Big Ten, I mean, I forget what the name of these conferences are now because it used to be the legends and the leaders. Uh, their side of the Big Ten is not the one that has Penn State, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. So they have a very easy uh, road to hoe, and none of those teams, Wisconsin, Minnesota, they're both down this year. So you kind of thought that 
uh, Iowa was definitely going to win that side of the league and that they were going to probably be undefeated going in to either have a rematch with Penn State or take on a Michigan, Michigan State or, uh, or Ohio State. And now suddenly, I mean, they lost to a Purdue team that now is ranked. And, you know, they're they're not a terrible football team by any means. But Iowa looks like they're maybe a top 15 team at best now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like they could they're, – they're falling, that they're trending in the wrong direction. Right. So, you know, I, I guess it goes to show that Iowa is not at the point yet where they have enough talent where they're not going to have a letdown. But that was still just a very highly disappointing performance from a team that – I knew had flaws, especially in the passing game, but one that I thought had a good enough defense that there's no way they would lose to a team like Purdue. Right, exactly. I mean, Joe, I watched a game two years ago where Auburn beat Purdue 56-7 to and could have beaten them 96-7. to Yeah. I mean, it was unthinkable for them to lose to Purdue, Iowa. Right. And now the new number team is Cincinnati, who actually looks like they're worthy of it, and they just keep – blowing out everybody they play. Uh, Joe, I wanted to switch now to another undefeated team and one that I've been really impressed with and I was happy about because it was one of my bets last week was Oklahoma State. They looked really solid in the fourth quarter against Texas, got a win, turned over the Longhorns offense a lot, and suddenly, Joe, it's looking like Bedlam could be a huge deal this year. It really is, you know Oklahoma State beating uh, Texas, you know, that's something that I remember earlier in the Mike Gundy years. It always felt like Oklahoma State would have those 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two seasons where they would lose two games, and it was to Oklahoma and Texas. They just couldn't get over the hump when Mac Brown was at Texas, and they would always end up in the Cotton Bowl um, by virtue of that. And so I think that this is a big win, you know, for um, Oklahoma State to kind of exercise some of those demons to beat Texas. Um, Texas, you know, still reeling, of course, from the uh, – um, heartache from the collapse and the Red River rivalry, but still an impressive uh, showing overall by uh, Oklahoma State. Absolutely. And, Joe, uh, on the other side of Bedlam, Oklahoma looked like a different team with Caleb Williams as their quarterback. And that looked like the team that we saw in the beginning of the year that, you know, I thought was – I think I predicted Oklahoma to win the national championship for the first time this year – that was a national championship-looking Oklahoma team we saw with the way they took care of a good TCU team. And Caleb Williams just had great stats. He ran for a couple touchdowns, uh, wasn't throwing weird interceptions, and suddenly it looks like Spencer Rattler is seriously without a job. I think so. I think so. And, Joe, the last story that we have of the week is, uh, you know, one that we had all season with college football is Georgia is the clear number one. And they dominated Kentucky. Kentucky got a touchdown at the end to do a backdoor cover. But Georgia at this point, it doesn't look like there's a team in America that can hang within 10 points of them. Not Alabama, not Oklahoma. I don't think Cincinnati could. And Stetson Bennett is just so efficient right now. And anyone that wants to put a game manager tag on him isn't watching him because he is playing great football right now. He is. I mean, it's just an all-around team effort, but he's definitely been, you know, a focal point so far. And I told you in a text that I found out interestingly from, you know, the Mississippi side of things that he went to JUCO for one year in a, at Jones County Community College in a Jones County, Mississippi, not far away from Laurel, if anybody watches the hometown, the HGTV show. So I thought that was really cool. A family friend of ours uh, told us that. I did not know that. 
um, because, you know, Stetson Bennett was a former walk-on at Georgia. But now here he is from walk-on to an opportunity to maybe lead this team to an SEC title. And I just think it's a cool story. I mean, the guy's five foot eleven. He's an inch taller than I am. He's, you know, he's not a guy that you're going to see play in the NFL. He's too small. But as a college quarterback, I mean, how can you not like the guy? He's loved Georgia his whole life. You see all the photos of him from the very beginning. He's been a bulldog through and through. He was going taking pictures with Ugo when he was five years old. I mean, it's very similar to like a Sam Ellinger, Bo Nix type story with the way this kid loves Georgia. And he has been shut down in this job so many times. Georgia wouldn't offer him a scholarship. He transferred in. He won the job. And they cut the they cut him out after they lost to Alabama last year, put JT back in. JT gets hurt. Stetson Bennett like comes in and plays great this season. And, and Joe, I think it would be a massive mistake for them to take Stetson Bennett out and put JT Daniels back in. I understand that JT Daniels is a guy who could play in the NFL. He's got a lot of ability. But something about you having a hometown kid, a kid who's from Georgia, who cares, who rallies this team around him, who has so much effort and is doing great. Why would you bring on, why would you take him out for the flashy kid who's got a lot of talent, but who can't stay healthy and who I don't think has the support of the team? I don't, I don't think you do that. And I think that, you know, you'd be crazy to make a change at this point. The team is just, like you said, all the support is behind. Stetson Bennett and you don't want to mess up anything with the psyche of the team the defense is playing so well and there's just something about Bennett that really fits this team Joe speaking of uh quarterback uh decisions you know Dan Mullen is often talked about as the ultimate quarterback whisperer him and Jimbo Fisher kind of talked about in the same breath as someone that really knows how to train up quarterbacks well Jimbo, I think he's beyond reproach when it comes to his selection and quarterbacks. But can we talk about how Dan Mullen now seems to always choose the wrong person to be a starting quarterback? I mean, we go when he's been at Florida. So why did Kyle Trask take him so long for him to take out Felipe Franks and put in Kyle Trask when we saw what Trask could do? That took a while, and it probably cost Florida one season of where they could have been a lot better. And now we're looking at they have three losses. They lost to an LSU team who fired their coach before that game even happened. And he's stuck with Emory Jones, even though everyone keeps talking about how talented Anthony Richardson is. And then suddenly when he's forced to, when LSU is killing them, he puts in Anthony Richardson. And if I'm not mistaken, Joe, he scored touchdowns on his final four drives as a quarterback uh, in that game. And suddenly if you're a Florida fan – Aren't you questioning Dan Mullen's decision-making when it comes to quarterbacks a little bit right now? Well, I think you make a worthwhile point. It definitely seems like it takes him longer than it should to select a starter that eventually becomes like an all-conference level performer. Like, I even remember, I wish I had this screenshot, and I can remember people back in like, I think it was the 2013 Outback Bowl. If I'm not mistaken, it was a bowl game that Mississippi State played against um, Northwestern where I think they allowed Northwestern to win that first bowl game since like the 1940s. And I saw friends of mine on social media post that they wanted Dak Prescott in the game. He would have been like a redshirt freshman then. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I wish I had that screenshot because obviously we know what Dak Prescott became with a talented quarterback. And so it seems like it just takes Mullen, you know, a lot longer than you would imagine realistically for him to go with somebody that shouldn't really be, you know, much of a decision. 
And, and you know, uh, I hate it now because you're looking at a Florida team that they're not as talented as the Florida team last year. But you wonder if they had Anthony Richardson, would they have maybe won, you know, two of those games they lost, the Kentucky game, would they have beaten LSU too? And they have one other loss as well. I'm trying to think of why I can't think of who the other team was they lost to. They got three losses right now. They lost Kentucky, Alabama, and and Alabama. Well, hey, Alabama, they were within two points. I mean, you know, because it's possible they could have beaten Alabama. Could they have been the ones that beat Alabama and not A and M? Let's let's just throw the Alabama one out. But let's say that right now they probably wouldn't have lost to Kentucky, who was very lucky to win that game against Florida, and they probably would have won the game against LSU. And so they they either have one loss or no losses probably right now if AR fifteen had been playing. Right. True. So I would say big stock down for Dan Mullen right now. And let me ask you, Joe, hot take you right now. Does Dan Mullen ever win a national championship at Florida? No, I, I don't think so. Um, I think that just given the hierarchy of the SEC right now, with Georgia's standpoint, and just got all the traction in the West, I just think there's just there's too many options before him. All right, Joe. Um, Spoiler alert, I agree with you completely. Even hotter take, does Dan Mullen ever win the SEC at Florida? No, no, I'd, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think this is ultimately going to be a guy who's a good coach who maybe should have stayed where he was at. He's a good head coach. He's a great coordinator, but a good head coach. That's what I think too. I think he's a good head coach who's always going to lose games that he shouldn't who definitely is slow on the uptake of putting in a younger quarterback when he should and who, you know, can come up with epic game plans, you know, every now and then against a big team. He definitely knows what it is about quarterbacks, but I don't think he's elite, and I don't even think he's anywhere close to an elite coach. He's kind of like one of those coaches you see, like nine and three is kind of his limit, maybe a ten and two every now and then. Absolutely. All right. With that being said, we'll come back with uh, another episode. We're going to preview some of the big games that we have. Uh, and I'll also, you know, talk a little bit of uh, Braves baseball in the next segment. Catch all of our episodes on Spotify. Look up the Dana Joe Sports Show on Spotify. We're now available on YouTube. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Dan and Joe Sports Show YouTube channel. We're posting all of our videos as of the last couple of weeks. And of course, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.